Hey everyone, welcome to Fatal Error. Uh, I'm Chris. And I'm Sarush. And uh, this week we have a special guest. Uh, Calvin, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm Calvin, and sometimes I go by the name Taylor Swift on the Swift Evolution list. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, so this week we thought we uh, would chat um, yeah, a little bit about Kelvin's work because you have a couple interesting GitHub repos, but uh, mainly about Swift Evolution and maybe some of the changes coming to that process for Swift 5, which I uh, don't totally understand just yet. I don't know, it's Swift 5 already, like, yeah. Version. <laughs> Chris, was, Chris posted something in the async thread that was like, this may not come until Swift 7 or 8, and it was just like, wow, we are really already talking about that. <laughs> I'm barely even paying attention to the async thread. That thing got like well, like a hundred messages in like a day. Like, yeah, people yeah. are really, really psyched about it. What's your general yeah. thought about the about the async and the actor stuff? I mean, it's definitely something important to have. I don't really have the attention span to like read through that entire thread. But like, <laughs> <laughs> it comes, it comes. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm glad. That, I'm glad that's being taken really seriously, though. Like. It seems like there's a lot of a lot of effort going into that. Yeah, I read Chris yeah. Latner's uh, sort of proposal and um, the draft of a concurrency manifesto, but I haven't read the like Swift Evolution thread about it. I, I yeah. also don't have the patience. Yeah, <laughs> or the free time. I I trust that they'll like get it right because there's people <laughs> who know a lot more about async stuff than I do. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are people who've like designed languages before working on this. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't. Um, cool. So, uh, I guess before we get started, um, Kelvin, is there anything you want to tell us about your background and where you come from and how you approach thinking about this stuff and and like how you got into Swift um, in the first place? Well, like this is gonna sound kind of like funny, but I actually got into, like programming in general and Swift. Because of Kylie Kloss, and she's, if you don't know who she is, she's a model and entrepreneur. She runs code with Klossy. And like a couple of years back, she went to the Apple Developer Conference thing and she like Instagrammed about this new language called Swift. And since I'm like also a big Taylor Swift fan, that was like really funny. And first it was like a meme. <laughs> then I was like, hey, I'm going to check this out and like learning how to code would be really fun and stuff. So I'm kind of like self taught in that way. Like, I didn't like seriously start learning Swift until about like a year or two ago. Like I've written like a lot of code in the meantime. Nice. And, and you're in college. Are you majoring in computer science? Uh, yeah, I am computer engineering. Nice. Cool. Yeah. What languages do you use like for your schoolwork? Um, that would be mostly C and assembly at the moment. Wow. Um, okay. C++ also is in the mix. Swift hasn't really caught on at the college level much yet. Yeah, I feel like it's too it's, new. Yeah, I think that'll take some time. Like, they don't really think it's going to, like, be big enough in the near future to just by replacing C as the you know, default language. Even though there's been, like, a few, like, I've, I've read, like, some blog posts about professors that are starting to introduce with Swift, but not a lot. Hmm. Right. And I guess they've seen like they've seen Java try to come in and take over. They've seen Python try to come in and take over and like none of them have well, really Java and Python I think are pretty popular now. Mm -hmm. uh, the main thing with Swift is that they don't see Apple itself 
Apple themselves using it. Mm, like, interesting. La- by the last news, like only one app, like the calculator app, was using Swift. Actually, everything is still Objective C. Right. So the thing, the thing I heard was that the new editor in Xcode is all written in Swift. I don't know if that's. I heard that at WWC, but I don't know. I don't know if I have a source for it. I can try to look that up. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't I mean, know about that. Yeah. And I think they're starting to roll this out, right? Once we have ABI stability, hopefully post Swift 5, I think we'll start seeing more adoption sure. within Apple. Post Swift 6. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so you found you found this, this, this Swift programming language, and then you kind of also got involved with the design um, and the, like, you know, discussion about the language internals on the Swift Evolution mailing list, which I, which I hope to talk about a little bit. Um, how did you end up like, you know, putting yourself out there on that list and saying, like, hey, well, like, let's talk about this stuff and let's let's get into the nitty-gritty. I mean, it took me a long time to, like, really start to involve in the actual language design because I always thought that was, like, something that was, like, far away or, like, that's not, like, something I ever saw myself being involved in. And I guess, like, when I first got introduced to that was back in, like, the Swift three days when it was, when Swift was like really unstable and that that's when it would like crash like every 15 minutes basically on protocol or whatever. So around, I think around like December, I think there was like some kind of like big drive to find all these crashes and fix them. It was called like real compilers never crash or something like that. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how I found that to begin with, but I do know like, I remember finding Slava's Twitter and he was like asking people like if they've seen bugs or crashes in the compiler and like to report them on Twitter. And since like, uh, I'm, I'm more active on Twitter than a mailing list. Like I'm not really, I don't have like a lot, a lot of experience on mailing lists. So I think Twitter was more accessible for me considering I already had a stand account there. And like, I started just like first like DMing Slava, like, just test cases that were crashing and there were like maybe 10 of them overall. And then like, eventually it was like to the point where like, Hey, maybe you should like bring this up on like the Swift users mailing list or uh, the Jira tracker. And then I think once I got more comfortable, like talking on a mailing list, because that's like a completely different format to Twitter. Like that's when I like started like thinking about, Hey, uh, this is actually a community-driven process. Like you can, you can propose changes to Swift, and it's not just like a top-down, completely like system there. And like when you think about stuff like pointers, which is what I'm pushing right now, like people might have the assumption that yeah, that's just like set in stone, and that's for whatever reason that's how it is. But it turns out like that was actually just like a neglected part of Swift that needs to be hashed out again, so... Right, yeah. so you, you proposed um, something called Improved Pointers. Yeah. Uh, SD184, we're going to put that in the show notes. Um, I only barely know about the pointer system in Swift, so I don't actually understand what this is changing. Can you, can you give me like a quick rundown of someone who, like, I understand what a pointer is, and I barely understand how the system works in Swift, um, but I'm curious to know what this changes and how it makes it sort of better. Um... There's really, like, two parts to the proposal. Like, the first half is kind of just, like, housekeeping work, which is methods that have inconsistent naming or they have bad argument labels or whatever like that. 
And then the other half is kind of rounding out the API because there's like a lot of missing methods right now. For example, buffer pointers, you can't really do much with them. And then with raw pointers, you have some of them, like raw pointers support deallocate, so do plain unsafe mutable pointer, but the unsafe pointer, the immutable version doesn't have a deallocate, which was the subject of a bug, I think, a while back, and that needed to be fixed. And there's also just the allocators, which take capacity arguments, and that's actually like a safety bug. So that had to be like reworked. So it's kind of just like a lot yeah. of built up stuff. That yeah, I read over the proposal. It seemed like you proposed a good number of changes just to make things more consistent in terms of yeah, naming and parameter types and uh, availability of, of features across the different point, uh, unsafe pointer types. Yeah, I think until now, like basically new features to pointers were basically added like one by one based on what the standard library needed. Like, mm-hmm. for example, right. like uh, initialize to count has like this random default argument of one, but then not a lot of other methods which also take it would have that just because the standard library uses that method with a default value of one a lot. So. So they just folded that in there. Yeah. Is there stuff that's like um, internal or private in the standard library that you're like, wow, this really should just be public? Um, Well, actually, the standard library doesn't have anything that's public. I mean, private or private or file private. That's just for like transparency reasons. Like it has something to do with inlining and um, the fact that you have the cross-module optimization with the standard library. So you have to write it like this weird way where you use underscore methods to signify like non-visibility and stuff like that. Gotcha. Interesting. Cool. So what was your motivation for, or I guess not motivation for, what were you working on that caused you to run across these uh, like consistency issues in the, like in the unsafe pointers uh, API? Um, Um, Well, I have like a PNG library that, and I do a lot of stuff that works with like image processing and stuff. And for that to be, you use unsafe buffer pointer a lot, but you can't really like actually create or allocate an unsafe buffer pointer. You have to do the whole dance around base suggest and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, I was like, this is really inconvenient. Why does, why don't they have allocators or why can't you just deallocate a buffer pointer? Then, like, I proposed that originally. It was just for allocate and deallocate. But then people brought up that, hey, the, the memory state functions are also a mess. So I figured, like, I tackled that <laughs> at the same time. Right. And it clearly was a good idea. It's, um, it's into the Swift Evolution repo, and it's awaiting review right now? Yeah, yeah. Um, right now, I'm still iterating on it with Andrew Trick. And, like, it's taken a while because... There's been like four versions of the thing with like a slightly different proposed API. Because like we're trying to, right now we're trying to deal with the fact that we want to support partial initialization. So that's when you want to transfer the contents of one buffer to another. And that can risk like leaving part of it uninitialized. So you want to be able to provide like somewhat safe 
interface for that. Yeah. Nice. So what's your experience, like, how's your experience been with the Swift evolution process so far? Is this the first, like, proposal that you've actually submitted? Yeah, it's the first one. And uh, how's it gone? Because, like, I've never personally submitted any uh, evolution proposals, so I'm just really curious to hear what that's like. I mean, it took it took a lot longer than I expected it to. Like, I thought this was going to be something that would take, like, I don't know, like, two weeks, a month at tops, like... Um, it wound up taking a lot of iterating and that's probably a good thing because when we got to like the fourth version, like by then we actually caught a lot of like unforeseen issues in the first version that we might not have noticed otherwise. And getting feedback from like a whole bunch of different people was also helpful in that. And also there's the implementation requirement that's new in Swift 4, Swift 5. And there's some controversy around that. Yeah, but, I definitely, definitely want to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't... I'm kind of on the fence about that. Like, some people hate it, some people like it. But. So just for, like, background, because I haven't been following this too closely, but I know there's some controversy. Uh, this means that before like you actually get an official review period for your proposal. You have to have an implementation in addition to the like swift evolution pull request, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I think part of it is that it was kind of really poorly messaged. Like um, they're just kind of changing the state machine for how accepting a pull request works. Um, They obviously don't want people to go out and write an implementation and then like, you know, pitch to everybody and everybody says, yeah, this isn't the right time, or we don't like this, or whatever, and then all that work has gone to waste. So they're actually doing a pre-review, which functions a lot like review does today. Yeah, you see, that's, like, the main issue that I have with it, is mm-hmm. that it doesn't really change anything. It just adds a second review after the fact. Right. It's already implemented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this, like, pre-review thing is really becoming the actual review. Yeah. And then there's just another review after that, which that's like um, more official. And like, if you've gone to the trouble of making an implementation, like probably it's going to get accepted at that point. It's just a matter of like, yeah, yeah. I think what they wanted to avoid was like, Oh, we think this proposal is a good idea. We have no idea when we'll get a chance to implement it. So we're going to accept it and leave it in this accepted state for years. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was, like, a big problem in Swift 3. Yeah. So, it yeah, would, like, reduce um, the backlog. Right. But at the cost that, like, new ideas would never even get into Swift Evolution in the first place, whereas, like, before, if it didn't require an implementation, at least you would have that idea on the shelf, and then people won't forget about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, so, you know, what happens now if, if you know, for something like... Uh, your proposal, Calvin, or Sarush, the proposal that you made around for uh, guard catch, or like if I wanted to submit a proposal, I have no idea how to implement something in, like how how to implement a compiler feature, right? Uh, yeah, I know yeah. that the Swift team or some members of the Swift team have said that they like they would if there's a good proposal coming up, they'll like help find someone to implement it, or the community will step up somehow. Like, do you, does anyone have a sense of how well that's actually going to work yet, do you think? I mean, I'm skeptical about that because I feel like there's only, like, I don't know, 20 or so people actually know the compiler, mm-hmm. and most of them work for Apple, and it's my understanding that they're already, like, overloaded with just technical depth and 
just fixing issues in the compiler and existing work. So I can't really like picture like a core team member actually having like the time or the interest in implementing these just proposed ideas that show up on the list. So like now basically getting something into the compiler would just consist of trying to persuade like at least one person on the core team to implement this feature for you. And instead of getting approval from kind of the Swift community at large through a review, now it's just trying to like sell one person on that idea. And then, you know. Yeah, there's definitely like a lot more persuading that has to happen with this new model. I mean, before it was persuading the community, now it's just trying to sell it to one person. Right. Um, On my pull request for the guard catch proposal, uh, somebody commented and wrote, to be clear, uh, proposals need an implementation, but it's not important who implements it. The core team has also implied that they might help uh, pair proposal authors with implementers. So I wouldn't worry about that part. Um, so it, it kind of sounds like if the proposal is good enough and if, like, if it's going in, um, somebody will do it. Like if, they, if it's just something they didn't think of or if it's a community proposal for something the core team wants to do anyway. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a lot more persuading is one way to put it. I think another way to think about it is like, it reflects the reality a little bit better of the fact that there are only 20 people, as you said, that can implement, um, implement a feature in the compiler. So if you want to do something like you either have to learn the compiler yourself and do the work for free or convince one of those people, um, that it's a good idea and like that they should carve out time to like, to like make that work. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's it's a high bar, which is rough. Yeah, I I mean again, like my concern is just like ideas might get lost in the process because there's like a really good draft, like a document for fixed size arrays a while back, mm-hmm. and I really like that. But obviously, like to implement that would require like going into the compiler itself because it's like a language magic feature it's not like something you can just do in the standard library or in foundation so like that's kind of at risk of just being like lost forever so and that that would be like a really big disappointment yeah um what is a fixed size array can you not just implement it at the runtime level or does it have to be at the compile time level i guess um, it's more literals fixed size arrays like, there's been a lot of, like, discussion over the name, like, or what exactly it means. I think people can agree that mostly they're stack allocated, and mm-hmm. they live inside the structure. So it's like in C where you declare, like, an array with n length. So that's why some people call them uh, just, like, extended tuples or contiguous variables or something like that. So instead of like, if you wanted to store an IPv6 address, you could have, like, an array with eight uh, UN16s. But to putting them in an array, that would store them in a heap, and that's not really optimal. So instead, you would want them on the stack. Like, right now, you would write a tuple, and then you would type UN16 eight times. <laughs> but right. that's kind of, like, stupid, and you can't iterate through that. Because yeah. you can't subscript into a tuple, so and you can imagine that, um, like in addition to allocating on the stack versus the heap, uh, having a fixed size that's known at compile time could allow some uh, better type checker 
tricks. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you can shift some of the uh, some of the things that'll trap at runtime now, maybe into uh, like compiler or compile time errors. Yeah, gotcha. that makes sense. It's also good for like yeah lookup tables because if you want to like convert like a digit to hex, like in C, like you would just have like a, a an array in the function body that's just like. A, B, C, D, E, F, and then like all the digits. And then you just subscript into that. But you can't really do that in Swift because that lookup table would live in the heap and it wouldn't really be efficient. So mm, that makes yeah. sense. Useful, like, yeah. Yeah, I can think of a lot of cases in which that's useful. Yeah. Now that, now that you if, if you ever tried like point C code to Swift, you'll get like hung up on fixed size arrays real quick. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, there are a number of applications in like cryptography algorithms too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was thinking about like hashing and stuff, where you know that the array mm-hmm. of bytes that comes out is always going to be this exact size, and yeah, it's yeah. going to be fast. Yeah, because yeah, the way I do that stuff right now is you just have an array of u int eight eights or whatever, whatever it is, and um, it's just yeah, that's right. It's, so as it stands now, uh, whoever's proposing the fixed size array has to in addition to pitching it to the Swift evolution list and getting people to generally accept it has to find someone who can actually implement it. Hmm. Yeah. And again, like that set of people, I feel like is pretty small. So yeah. the likelihood of that happening, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see. It's still early days. So we're all just kind of speculating, but, um, well, and if it sucks, I think they'll change it. I guess that's a good point too. Like, the team so far seems like flexible and receptive to input from the community. So uh, maybe we're worrying a lot here about really nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I feel less like I could propose something to Swift Evolution today than two months ago. Right. And I think that part of it is intentional. Um, I think there was a lot of discussion and a lot of um, kind of consternation about things that are on, on the Swift Evolution mailing list about things that can't happen anytime soon because of priorities and because of resource constraints of just there's only so many people that can write this code. And so I think part of the goal has to be to tamp down some of that um, Swift Evolution energy. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I actually, I don't know like how like most people would propose things on the Swift Evolution list. Like, I don't know if people right now would just like write something up and just, like, send it on the list, like, for the point of proposal, like, it was actually, like, a long time in the making, like, I was talking to people, like, on, like, the core team and, like, on the Swift team for, like, weeks before it was actually ever sent on the mailing list, kind of just, like, writing that thing up. Like, I was talking to, like, Harlan Haskins a lot with that. So, by the time it actually, by the time it actually showed up, like, it had already been through, like, you set some Yeah, that's what I did with my guard catch proposal is I basically had a bunch of friends um, look at it and we all had like this big discussion in Slack about yeah. how should this work? What about this case? What about that case? Um, and so we had gone through, yeah, I think like, you know, five or six revisions, adding a bunch of different edge cases, adding a bunch of like alternatives considered um, and like reasoning for why we didn't think that was good. Um, and then before it ever even hit the mailing list as a pitch. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, so. basically having, like, a few good, like, developer mutuals on Twitter or something, like, it's good, like, be able to bounce stuff off and them like that. 
Because mm-hmm. on a mailing list, like it's so asynchronous that you can't really have like real time discussion about it or hit like on a lot of these like small topics. That- so, do you think that'll change with? Um, I get there. I guess there's some discussion or a plan to move some of this activity from these mailing lists to a discourse forum somewhere online. And I forget. I guess exactly if that's definitely happening or if that's just something they're. That they're thinking about. Um, I mean, yeah. I think I've heard like the word discourse like come up like a lot on the list for like months now. I don't know if it's actually going to happen soon. But then again, I've also never actually used discourse. So I don't really know what yeah. that would be like. Yeah, Unless, like, it's, hard to, it's hard to be worse than a mailing list because <laughs> like I've been on that thing for like like a couple months now, I still don't know how to use it properly. So yeah, it's totally miserable. The mailing list. And it's like really hard to like spin off new threads and stuff. Um, I use discourse, a friend of mine set, set one up and, um, it's really nice. And like, you can take any message and click like start new thread and it will create a new thread from that message. And then people can like kind of spin off discussions like that. And it would be like better searchable. It would be better linkable. Like all that stuff would just be so much better. Is this move to discourse definitely happening, Sarush, do you know, or is it just an idea at this point? Um, they said they were definitely going to move to discourse, um, and then they wanted to do it in this kind of like swift four time frame, but because of reasons and everything getting pushed around, they didn't actually make it. And so um, Ted Kremenek made a post, maybe it was like two, three weeks ago, uh, we'll try to find it for the show notes, where um, he said basically like, we dropped the ball on discourse, but we're definitely doing it. Um, this is the threat to like kick off any discussion you want to have about it. We're going to auto import everything. We're going to try to like tag things correctly. And if you can like put stuff in brackets, that'll like help us tag things. Um, so I, I do think it's going to happen. It's just a matter of like, this is a ton of data. It's got to get moved over from one system to another. Um, but I think eventually it's going to be like much better. And like, I think it'll be easier to read. The quotes will be nicer. I'm just really looking forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, maybe for the rest of this episode, if we want to switch topics a little bit, um, I was kind of curious, Kelvin, to ask about your, uh, the Swift work that you have on GitHub, you have your PNG library and a like programmatic noise generation library. Um, and they're written in pure Swift with no like dependency on foundation. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was curious, uh, like what's, what's your like motivation or interest in this stuff? Uh, why pure Swift without foundation dependencies um you want to tell us a little bit about that i mean i'm interested in game development so i've been kind of kind of just like over time trying to build these like building blocks basically for stuff like uh cgi game development image processing it's like procedural noise is something that's like important for that and right now that's on the apple end that's being covered by i think I don't remember what the framework is, but we didn't really have like a lib noise equivalent or Swift or like a noise RS like like they have in Rust. So that was just like me uh, implementing a pure Swift version of Perlin noise, Whirly noise, all those like basic hmm. foundational like building blocks. Like if you do anything like 3D or like CGI, like those are basically. 90% of what you do with procedural noises, everything else comes from Perlin and Warley. So that was like a big, like, kind of like low hanging fruit to say 
Cool. Yeah. So these are written in, when you say pure Swift, you mean no foundation at all. Yeah, no foundation. And a yeah, few of them employ glibc or Darwin, which is kind of an issue because a lot of times like I forget to import Darwin. So then it's not until like a while later when someone says, hey, this doesn't build on Mac OS X, which is why I was kind of like proposing a unified libc import. On right, right. I remember that thread. Yeah. So, so Swift obviously doesn't have any concepts of an image natively, and Foundation doesn't either. So um, what this has to do is it basically generates the thing and then writes it to a file. And then you could like view that file with something it, else, right? It doesn't write to a file, actually. That's just in a testing framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, the noise library itself is abstract. Like It doesn't even make a buffer. You create a noise object, a noise structure, and then you sample the noise at like XY coordinates. So you can really like do whatever with it. You can distort it, do FBMs. And so ultimately it's like an array of bytes under the under the hood? Uh there's there's no array of bytes that it creates it's like a uh, 2D or 3D function. So you evaluate it, you sample it at points. Like the noise library does have like a built-in sampler for you to create a byte array. But if you want to do, if you want something more flexible, you can just sample the function directly. Interesting. That's cool. Huh. Uh, that, that's why it's called procedural noise because it has infinite resolution. Mm, I gotcha. So this isn't actually um, dependent on PNGs at all. No, it's that's just, just that's just like viewing the noise. Gotcha. Okay. Weird. Cool. Okay. And then so the other library that you work on is Max PNG. Yeah. Um, similar situation. Pure Swift. No foundation. Uh, it's not exactly pure Swift because it has one dependency on Zlib. Um, there, once upon a time, there was a pure Swift inflate implementation of the Zinflate algorithm. Uh, I don't think that builds on Swift anymore because whoever was maintaining it forgot about it. <laughs> it was probably like the Swift GL, SGL, whatever library. Mm-hmm. I think it was David Turnbull who wrote it. Um, so yeah, that. That was actually like a pure Swift PNG decoder, but it didn't support encoding. And again, it didn't build, so like I kind of like wrote a replacement for that. And it handles more cases too. Like it basically works like the entire PNG test suite. Nice. And it also validates too. So nice. Um, so these are obviously since they are not dependent on foundation, they don't need Linux foundation to be implemented completely at all. So when you write this stuff, do you work in like Xcode or Mac environment, or do you work in a Linux environment with some other editor? Uh, I, I work in a Linux environment. Nice. So, so I use I use Atom for everything, which is kind of why, like, sometimes on the mailing list, I can like I talk about whether or not this is something that can be supported with syntax highlighting, or it's like general because people tend to be very Xcode centric on there, which yeah, I don't think is like completely a good thing. So yeah, I just moved my um, Swift on the server project. Uh, from like only running in Linux and needing TextMate to edit it to finally also compiling and running on the Mac so that I can work in Xcode. And there's like upsides and downsides to both. Um, it's really nice that like when I was working in Linux that I knew it would work the exact same in all the Linuxes. Whereas now it, when I run it locally, it's going to be different than when it runs, you know, sort of when it's deployed on, on Heroku. Um, but having like autocomplete and stuff is, is really nice. I don't know if you have the autocomplete plugins for... For Adam yeah, for yeah. Swift, really nice. 
Uh, I don't think it has them, so not really. Mm, okay, I've heard they they exist, but I've never looked into it, so maybe they don't. I mean, I I basically wrote the syntax highlighter, so <laughs> nice. it's like probably like three Swift packages, just like foreign language at all. Like, there's a Swift linter, so I'm that's a good thing, but I don't think it's autocomplete. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes mm. sense. Cool. Kelvin, thanks for coming on to Fatal Error. Um, if our listeners want to um, find you on the internet or um, if there's any way you want them to like, get in touch with you, if they have questions or anything, if you want to share like email, GitHub, Twitter, whatever, um, is there anywhere people should try to reach you? I mean, my GitHub is Kelvin13. Like, and uh, I have, like, I think, four or five libraries on there. So if you have something like specific to a library, you can just comment on there. We open an issue. Like, I'm always welcome to that. Cool. Yeah, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks so much, Kelvin. We'll throw uh, links for uh, your GitHub in the show notes. And uh, to all our listeners, thanks for listening. And uh, Sarush, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks. Cool. Talk soon, Chris. Bye. Bye. Bye.